Welcome to the Land of Goshen podcast. This is where you can hear the latest sermons from Goshen Presbyterian Church in Belmont, North Carolina, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. For more information on Goshen Presbyterian Church, please visit GoshenPCA.com. That's GoshenPCA.com. Our reading this morning is John 2, 1-12, through 12. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brothers and his disciples And they stayed there a few days. There are still people in this world who believe that the earth is flat. They have a whole society. I found them online quite by accident and was shocked to discover it wasn't a joke. They really do believe the earth is flat. Convinced of it. I know what you're saying. We look into the heavens through telescopes, and we see every other planet in the universe is round. Well, yes, but ours is flat, they respond. But we have pictures of Earth from outer space. Those fake. But Neil Armstrong and other men walked on the moon, and they told us they saw the Earth, and it's round. They didn't really go, that was faked. Well, okay, what about the fact that when you look over the horizon at a ship at sea, the masts will come up over the horizon first because they're actually sticking up over the curvature of the earth. That's an optical illusion. What about the fact that military snipers have to actually calculate the curvature of the earth into their shots because they shoot at that great a range? Lying. It's all a conspiracy. And you sit there, you're like, how much evidence do I have to stack up? I mean, for crying out loud, in the ancient world, a mathematician calculated the circumference of the earth and got it close enough that modern science considers it right. He was off, but they're like, considering he was not using modern equipment, good enough. We've known the earth is round since before the advent of what we would consider science. How much do I have to prove this fact? 
It's plain. The earth is a globe. Yeah, as plain as that is, though, if you sit down and think about it, does it really make that much difference in how you live your life? If you found out tomorrow the earth really was flat, would that change how you live? I can only think of one difference that it would make for me. I would be very careful to stay away from the edge. (laughs) It wouldn't make much never mind to me if the earth was flat. In this passage, we are shown something that is abundantly plain and clear. But the difference is, this makes a huge practical difference for your life, both now and forever. What we are shown is the glory, the divine glory. Of Jesus Christ. We are told he manifested his glory. What did he manifest? What did he show them? The first thing we see is that Jesus manifested the glory of his divine freedom. His divine freedom. You start listing out the commandments and very quickly you come to the one that is very hard for us to handle. Well, that's all of them. The one in particular stands out, honor thy father and thy mother. That's tough. When I was a kid, I did not like that commandment very much. I was like, God, you don't understand. My mom and dad are so old. They don't get it. And now I have kids and I see it in their eyes when they look at me and I can see that they're thinking, Lord, my dad is so old. He just doesn't. And I'm like, ah, I hear my words and they're my father's words coming out of my mouth. Jesus was given that commandment too. And he was obedient to his mother insofar as that went, but not Now, she walks up to him. They're out of wine. What's she saying? Some people have a little trouble with this because this is the ancient world, but here in the South, we still do this. Our culture is very much like ancient and modern Near Eastern culture. Why? They're out of wine, son. Translation, they need wine. Do something. And his response is not... That polite, yes, ma'am. He looks at her. Woman, ma'am, essentially. By, by the way, that is what that means. It's not, he's not being disrespectful. Ma'am, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. He's looking at her and telling her, look, if you tell me to do anything related to To your authority, I will do it. But you are now meddling with the divine timetable. There is a schedule that God has appointed and you are trying to tell me to do things out of order. You need to understand, I don't care if you're my mother or not, no one tells me how to be God. I will do what I will do when I have proposed to do it for my purposes and for my glory. 
That is hard to hear. We are used to the idea of going to God in prayer and just giving Him the list of stuff we want. And sometimes God has to remind us, you need to remember who I am. Jesus is saying that He is God and He is reminding us, I work for me. You cannot command me. You cannot sway me to do that which I don't want to do. You cannot order me. And this is important for us to remember because it is becoming more and more popular for people to say that they can command God. Oh, they won't say it that way, but they'll say things like, declare it, prophesy it, declare victory in your situation. And I want to look at them and go, no, 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 no. You can declare what you want. Nobody cares. When was the Declaration of Independence signed? July the 4th, 1776. We shoot off the fireworks. We hold the celebrations. To quote Jim Gaffigan, we have a burger and a steak and a brat because that's what the founders would have wanted. When did the Declaration of Independence actually mean anything? When the Treaty of Paris was signed and Britain gave up its claim to the colonies. Before that, you could declare you were independent all you wanted, just like a teenager. I declare I'm independent. Good for you, son. When are you going to start paying rent? Who cares what you declare? God is free. He is free to do whatever He wants. He is not obliged to anything. And understand this, this makes our salvation all the more glorious. God was not constrained to save anyone. He would have been just and righteous to cast us all into hell. When God acts, He does it because it pleases Him to do so. And when we approach Him in prayer, we are not declaring and prophesying like the ancient pagans. And yes, if you study the ancient pagans, that was their belief, not the belief of Christ in the church, not the gospel He proclaimed. We come to Him asking, if it be Your will, O Father, Grant this, please. Now you may say, well, if that's the case, I, can I pray with any confidence? Look, God tells you this because you need to remember that He's God and you need to worship Him as God and you need to be humble. We still come to God with confidence in prayer because Jesus displayed something else. You see, Jesus manifested the glory of his divine compassion. I love what happens here. Jesus has rebuked Mary. My hour has not yet come. You don't understand the timetable of God. What is the first thing she does? She knows her son. All right. She goes to the servants. Look, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She's like, all right, I get it. You had to put me in my place, but I know you. You may not be constrained to do this, 
but you're going to do it. Not because I ordered you to, but I know you. You love these people. And sure enough, what does he do? He calls the servants over. Go fill those pots with water. When we come to God in prayer, when we go to Him, we cannot constrain Him, we cannot force Him. My children can't constrain or force me, but when they come to me and go, Daddy, can I have... Yeah, is my default answer. Now, it's not the answer they hear usually, because very often they're asking me for something they really shouldn't have. No, Clara, you cannot watch the same episode of Doc McStuffins five times in a row. I'm not going to permit that. It is not good for your brain. It is not good for my sanity. (laughs) I don't know why. It's always the same episode. I've got it almost memorized. But I love my children. I want them to have good things. When you go to God and you say, Lord, can I have... It's not that you're forcing His hand. It's that God looks at you with compassion. He knows your need. He knows your want. And you are His child in Christ. And He wants to give you that good thing. And again, let us put these together. His freedom and His compassion. Do you understand how great his love is that nothing constrains him to do us good? He just wants to do us good. How much greater is the love of God that it is not forced, that he could have chosen to pass us by, but he brought us in and sent His Son, and that Jesus loved us enough to come down to us freely. Not because He had to, because He wanted to. When I go to God, my confidence is not that I can conjure Him, that I can bind Him. My confidence is that He is our Father. And he loves us. And if he says no, he will still work all things for the good of those who love him. And I can put my faith in that. He will do all things for his own glory, for my own sake, for my own sake I will act. For how shall my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And yet... All things work together for good for those who love him. He will do for his own glory and for my good at the same time. Because he has freely chosen it. How great is the love of God. And not just big things. The everyday affairs of this life. When I face any trouble, spiritual, emotional, physical, Economic, which is what they were facing here. Do you understand it was the responsibility of the bridal couple to provide a feast for the guests? Have you ever been to a wedding reception and you didn't enjoy yourself? Put your hand up. I know you have. (laughs) Look, as a pastor, I am a connoisseur and a critique of weddings. All right? 
I've been to a lot of them. Some of them I very much enjoyed. Some of them I did not. By the way, the whole key is, is the food available now or later? If the answer is later, I'm not having fun. The answer is now. This is a great wedding, I approve. Back then, you could sue the couple if you did not get adequate provision. If they didn't put on a big enough party, you could sue them for damages. Running out of wine was shameful and could open them up to economic hardship. Jesus was not just keeping the party going, he was rescuing them. God loves you enough. Jesus loves you enough that he will provide for whatever you need. And in doing so, Jesus manifests his salvation. Jesus manifests his salvation. Remember, we've talked already about the fact that Mary had the timetable backwards. Well, what did she have wrong? What did his hour, his death, have to do with anything? Because in Isaiah, there's mention of a feast. A feast where God will gather his people out of all the nations and they will sit at the table and he will give them food and wine. And we come to the book of Revelation and there's a feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb. At the end of time, at the consummation of all things, Jesus is telling Mary, Mom, you've got the timetable backwards. First, the servant must suffer. Then he will host the feast. First, there must be pain. Then there shall be glory. I must first atone for sin. And then, when sin is removed, will there be the joyous feast of celebration. Jesus is saying to her, you don't understand the timetable. And yet, in his compassion, he freely chose to give them a foretaste of salvation. He said, the time has not yet come for wine and rejoicing. But you're in trouble. But you could be sued. But you could be shamed. And although it is not something I must do, it pleases me to give you a little foretaste of what's to come. He does it very privately. He doesn't make this a public miracle. He just orders them, put water in there. The water becomes wine. And the couple is saved. They're rescued. Jesus has come to be our Savior. He has come to rescue us from the fallen world and give us the blessings of salvation. He takes want and he makes it abundance. He takes shame, he turns it into glory. He takes sinners and he turns them into saints. And he does this not just by a word or by his will, he did it by giving himself on the cross. The most encouraging thought that I have found is this. Jesus Christ died 
for me. Because I know that he has suffered. I know where I stand in the divine timetable. The blood of Christ has been shed. His spirit has been poured out. And when the end days come, I will be at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Not just I think I'll be. Not just maybe, I will be there. And if you believe in Jesus, you will be there. And because I know God's salvation here and now, I am assured of His salvation there and then, and I look for His return with hope. With hope. Because salvation there and then gives me strength even now. And God gives me in His Spirit that foretaste of what is to come. See, I can't go to the marriage supper of the Lamb today, but in a couple of weeks, what are we going to do the first Sunday of the month? Have a meal of bread and the cup. And Jesus saying, it is not time yet for the great supper but we will have a foretaste today. And every time we read His Word, every time we commune with Him, even as we live our lives with Him in our hearts, we have that foretaste. Every little blessing He gives, that foretaste of what is to come. We also see in this passage, Jesus manifested the glory of His power. The glory of his power. We hear this story a lot. It's referenced at weddings. Popular culture talks about it because it's considered one of the more remarkable miracles. People can't believe Jesus turned water into wine. He did. They're like, wow, that's pretty cool. They don't remember that he did it to save a couple from shame. They're just like, wow, free drinks. And that's as far as they go. And they don't reflect on what a miracle it is. Augustine talked about this. He said, people today are like, well, I can't see the miracles. He said, do you want to see water turned into wine? I can show it to you. It's easy. It just takes a long time. You have to take water, you see, and pour it on a grapevine. The grapevine will absorb the water, and some of it will get into the grapes, where it's chemically changed by the adding of sugars and other stuff, into juice. Then you have to pick the grapes and crush them. Then you have to collect the juice and pour it into a container. Then you have to wait while the fungi, which naturally occur on the surface of grapes, eats the sugar and turns it into alcohol. Then you have water, which has been changed into wine. He said the miracle with Jesus is that Jesus took water and said, we don't have time for the intervening steps, just be wine. Somebody got that. Jesus just like, I don't have time for all that. Just stop being water and start being wine. Be something else. And you notice, he never actually says it. He never actually commands it. He doesn't even remark on it. He just says, fill them. They're full. Take some out and take it to the head waiter. And we're told the water had already become wine. He just willed it to happen. 
Now, we hear that and that's old hat. I want you to think about this. If you were holding a glass of water in your hand and it suddenly changed into wine, what would you do? You'd probably go check yourself into a clinic and get tested, right? You'd be like, Doc, I think something's wrong. This is wine. Am I the only one seeing wine? Yeah, that's wine. What about it? Well, this was water when I poured it. Yeah, we'll get you an appointment and some pills. <laughs> now let's change it. What if you're in public and everyone sees it and says, that's wine and that used to be water. What just happened? What if you're in a science lab and they're all observing it and it changes? They don't know what to do with that. Nobody would know what to do with that. If you asked a scientist, could this happen? They're going to tell you that's impossible because matter simply is matter. Water is water. If you want it to be anything else, I can put some electrodes in it and I can break it down to hydrogen and oxygen. I can add packets to it and make it tang but I can't just poof, make it something else. The only one who could do that would be the creator. He who made the water. He who willed and spoke the world into being. He could do that. Remember John 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. Nothing has been made. How does, let me turn back. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. They looked at Him, and they realized here was a man who with His will alone could change the very substance and fabric of reality. And they realize this is power. This is divine power. No prayer. No asking. Simply willing and it is done. And they realize this man in front of us is not just another prophet. And John writes this so you will know this is not just another prophet. This is not just a teacher. This is not a man chosen by God for his great goodness. This is God among us. The creator walks among men as a man. What more do you want? He could have stopped right here and that would have been enough, but we're not done yet. This is the first sign. This is the beginning of what he began to do. He told the guy, you will see greater things than these. He didn't have to wait long. They go to a wedding and Jesus is already doing miracles. When you're presented with a truth plainly manifested, it calls for a response. And manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the one we're to believe in. God has come among us as a man, and he has demonstrated his glory. And people all the time are like, well, I would believe if God would just do a miracle. Look, that's a silly argument. 
Because here's the thing. How many miracles does God have to perform? You think God is going to do parlor tricks for your amusement? There are 7 billion people plus in the world. Do you think he has to come down and personally work a miracle for every one of them? Well, no, maybe if he did like one big miracle for the whole world. Okay, but then everyone dies. Does he have to do it for each generation? Well, no, we could write it down. We could video record it. He's done it. He's done it. He's turned water into wine. He raised a nobleman's son. He healed a man born blind. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised the widow's son from the dead. He fed 5,000. He fed 4,000. He's walked on water. He walked out of his own tomb and the eyewitnesses have written it down. Trust in him. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is merciful. And he has done these things because it has pleased him to save a people. Trust him. And if you do trust him, be confident. Be bold. If people choose not to believe the gospel, they are choosing not to believe the gospel. Look, when you read this book, you know it's true, don't you? I could line up evidence all day long, but the truth of the matter is when you read it, you know it. They all know it, or they would not fight so hard against it. Tell people about Jesus because he has done these things that we may bear witness and tell people this is what I have seen the Lord do. This is what I have experienced from his hand and he can work in your life and give you comfort, peace, hope, salvation. All of that can be yours. If you respond with faith and belief in him. Jesus has manifested his glory and it pleases him to show that glory through us and through his word. So let us share his word with the world. Let's go to the Lord our God in prayer. We hope this sermon has been helpful to you. If you would like more information about the gospel of Jesus Christ or about Goshen Presbyterian Church, please contact us using the website goshenpca.com where you can find our email address as well as our phone number. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Goshen PCA. Please subscribe to this podcast and feel free to share the good news of Jesus Christ by sharing these episodes.